0: You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Amen. God has just been so good. God has been so good, and uh, we are blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. Being able to come together like we are here this morning, just being able to freely lift up our hands and worship, begin to magnify Him for who He is and everything that He's already done for you up to this point. How many have come here this morning believing God for even greater things, though? Amen. Even greater things are in store for God's people, and we're looking forward to what God is going to do. If you have your Bibles here this morning, we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. If you don't, we have it up for you on the screen here as well. We don't want to make you feel left out, so we've included that for anybody that doesn't. Jeremiah chapter 18, it says this, "'The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, "'Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words.'" Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he had made of clay was marred. Everybody say marred. It was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, somebody say again, into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. For just a few moments here this morning, I want to speak to you on this topic, the testimony of the murd, the testimony of the Mard. If you could just set your Bibles down right now, lift up your hand one more time. We're going to ask God to speak to us. In a powerful way, let his word resonate within our hearts here this morning. God, we are so thankful once again to be able to call in your name. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you for the power that your word holds here today. It is life. God, and we pray right now, Lord, that you would speak life into each and every vessel here this morning, each and every person. Let your will be done. We will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Amen. Jeremiah, he was called to be a prophet of God at a very early age. He was young. He was just a, a young man when God called him. If you look over at our youth group right now, you can imagine that he was within the vicinity of this age so much so that he, in, he told God, he said, God, I'm too young for you to use me. I, I can't do it, pick somebody else. And yet God, God said, don't despise your youth. I want to use you right here, right now, in this moment in your life and so he calls jeremiah out and this was a man who loved god and who loved the people of god but hated to speak god's word of judgment on his people but regardless of his feelings the word of god was like a fire that was shut up in his bones and he couldn't he couldn't hold it back he had to preach what god told him to preach whatever you tell me lord i'll speak and because of this he's Not the most popular guy in town. His preaching has upset so many people, including the king. And his message from the Lord, it's blunt about the sin of the people and the judgment of God on their sin. And we find this humble preacher in a simple one-roomed dirt floor house with a narrow cot in one corner of the room. Even though he coped a fair bit of abuse and bad treatment from the locals as he delivered God's message, he was cut deeply when they rejected God's warning. And he has witnessed God's chosen people being led as captives from the ruins of Jerusalem, being put into slavery. As Jeremiah was praying, God speaks to him, but this time, this time it's not to give him a message to go and tell everyone, at least not yet. There was something God wanted Jeremiah to witness first. He says, Jeremiah, listen to me carefully. I've got a job for you. This is important. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you a message. And so Jeremiah, he heads down the street to the potter's workshop. The potter, he's sitting there at his wheel, and he's working a lump of clay. The wheel goes round and round. The clay begins to take shape. And you can see development taking place. You can see all of this coming about. But all of a sudden, just as this starts to take form, something goes horribly wrong. It collapses. It becomes marred in the hand of the potter. The potter, then he is faced with two choices. Either throw it away in anger or start again. This sort of thing was part of a normal day's work to the potter. It wasn't the first time that he'd seen clay become unruly. And so, what did he do? He squashed that clay down. He put it into the center of the wheel. And he starts molding it again. Nothing is a failure. Nothing is wasted. He just started again. And as Jeremiah is watching all of this, God speaks to him in a very clear voice. And he says, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you cannot I do with you as this potter has done? Like the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. The Lord, through the Bible, uses parables and stories like this to get across to His listeners important truths that they needed to know. When God tells us, for example, in His Word, that He's the Good Shepherd, He's telling us that He cares for us. He guides us and leads us. He directs our path. When He tells us that He's our rock, we know that we have a secure foundation that we can stand upon when we stand in Him. And when He tells us that He's your fortress, you know that you're safe in Him. Each time He gives you an image of what He's like, we find this new revelation of how we can trust Him. It's exactly the same when He tells us, I'm the potter. I'm the potter. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the first example of this. God, he takes the dust of the earth, the clay, and he makes man from it. God, he then breathes life into his creation, and life begins. And In Romans chapter 9, Paul says that just like a potter molds his pots, so God is molding every life for his glory. And here, in the potter's workshop, God is sharing with Jeremiah that he's the potter, And the nations are like clay in His hands. And when you understand that, when you understand that the nations of this world are in His hands, and He is the one in control, He is the one that's on the throne, you won't be upended by whatever's going on in the world because He. you realize He hasn't lost His power or His capacity to be the potter. He has the whole world in His hands. When I was 15 years old, my dad, being a carpenter, he was needing to go and shingle a roof, and it was quite a steep roof. I told this story before to the church a few years ago, but I'll share it again. He got up in the morning and he went off to work like he had always done. But moments later, I woke up to the sound of our phone ringing. I'm sorry, but there's been an accident. No details, no details. They just told us to get there as soon as we could. I walked into the room, and there was Mom still holding onto the phone, crying. We rushed to the hospital. We ran through those emergency room doors. There was my dad laying out on a stretcher with a neck brace on. My dad had fallen 22 feet off of the roof onto a pile of rocks down below. The doctors came out to talk to Mom, and they told, they told her even the fact that he's still alive is a miracle. He broke both arms. He shattered his cheekbone, hurt his hip. He was pretty banged up. He had to have multiple surgeries. And so they brought us all into a waiting room. And we waited. And we waited. It felt like an eternity. After the hours of surgery, he makes it into the recovery room. And the doctor tells us that we can go in to see him. I still remember walking over to his side of the bed, coming over to where he was in his weakened voice. I heard him singing a song. And as I stepped over to the side of the bed, I heard what song it was. Gentle hands holding on to me. Gentle hands guiding me so carefully. And though he leads me down through paths, I don't always understand. I will never fear for I'm in. Gentle hands. This is the testimony of the marred. Through life's difficulties, this marring has happened. And what seems like complete disaster becomes a testimony that although I've been marred and although tragedy has collapsed in on me from every side, I'm still in the gentle hands of the potter. I'm marred, yes, but I'm in his hands. The nation of Israel just like us are designed for the glory of God to be a shining example to the world of what it is like to have God as our everything. But Israel failed. That clay was marred, The nation was marred, But still the potter doesn't throw it away. No, he starts the wheel again and places it back on. He starts working it again. Don't tell me That God can't use you just because you're marred. Don't tell me that God can't use you just because you've messed up once or twice or a thousand times. I hear the potter's wheel spinning once again. He's not finished yet. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he could write to the church in Philippi and say, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Somebody say, complete it. Hallelujah. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, when God first called Jeremiah, He said to him this. This was how He called Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This was His calling. That word formed that God used it comes from the same word that we use to describe how a potter works clay on the wheel. Formed. They form with their hands. And even before Jeremiah was born, even before you were born, you were on his potter's wheel and he was already molding you and shaping you for his glory, for his purpose. The story that God is relating to Jeremiah, it takes him back to the moment that he called him to preach his word. And he remembers what it was like to first hear that calling from a young age and say, God, I may be too young. I I may be this. I may be that. But God just used me. He said this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And that should teach us two things. First, It should teach us humility. God, you're the potter, I'm the clay. How many are thankful this morning that He's God and we're not? (laughs) We would have this world in a, a lot different state if we were the ones that were in control. And that means that you can do with me whatever you want to, Lord, because you're the potter. But at times we feel the squeeze and we feel the pressing at times of His fingers shaping our character and molding our life to His will. It's not always comfortable. It may be painful at times, but yet, we're still thankful that we're in His hands. Secondly, it teaches us hope. Many of us, when we were in school, we had an art teacher that attempted, yes, attempted to show us how to work with clay. I remember the kind of artwork, I use that term loosely, I remember what we created. You're told to make a mug, right? And it it kind of looks like a mug. If you squint and kind of look at it from a distance, it's kind of a mug. The bottom's wonky. The mug, it wobbles. It doesn't sit straight on any surface. The sides are falling outward. And the moment that you pick it up, the handle falls off. It's covered in fingerprints. After seeing the mess that I had made in class, I was quite certain and I was quite thankful that he is a much better potter than I am. And you, you're the clay in his hands. He's forming you into a beautiful vessel that's purpose built for his glory. So, this pressure that you're experiencing in life, these moments when you feel dizzy from being on the wheel, they aren't the sign that God has abandoned his work in your life. It is his work in your life, he's still working. He's still working. Jeremiah's pottery lesson, it teaches him something as well. It teaches them that change is possible. In verse 7, God gives an example of a nation that is threatened with destruction because of its sin. But then look at verse 8. You see, verse 8, God is speaking here through Jeremiah and he says this, If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil. I will relent of the disaster that they thought to bring upon it. So a nation like Israel could be on the very verge of judgment. But if they turn back to God, he will show mercy. Maybe you've made some bad choices and maybe you've made some bad decisions in your life. This lesson at the potter's workshop tells you that this path that your life is on doesn't have to be it. There's a powerful testimony of the marred. There's a powerful testimony waiting to be finished by the potter. My life was in ruins. Oh, but out of his love and out of his grace and out of his mercy, he didn't throw me away. Hallelujah. He took my marred life and he put it back on his wheel again. He made something out of what I considered nothing. Nothing. That's the testimony of the marred. Unfortunately for Israel, they chose not to listen They chose not to yield themselves to the potter. Jeremiah 18, verse 12, it continues the conversation. It says, but the people replied, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. God offers them this chance to avert coming destruction, and they say, Lord, sorry, but we can't see how there's any hope. Besides, we've got other plans. They're happy with how things are. They don't want change. Don't waste your breath, Lord. And in verse 15, we see the Lord's heart broken in two, and he says this, "My people have forgotten me." Oh, you can see the Lord's heart. It's ripped in two. "My people have forgotten me. They've forgotten me. They forgot that I'm the potter, and they are the clay." see, if you forget Mother's Day, or if you're married and you forget your wedding anniversary, you're in trouble, aren't you? You're in the doghouse. You're sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> because to the person that you've forgotten, it says, I, I don't mean anything to you. But to the people of Israel, the Lord says, they've forgotten me altogether. It's not just that they've forgotten a certain date or a certain thing, they forgotten me entirely and the problem is that when we forget the Lord when we forget that he's the creator that he's the potter when we forget who he is he ceases to mean much of anything to us and so sin it bothers us less but it goes further than that it wasn't it wasn't just that they had stopped worshiping the Lord it was that they turned their worship they turned their focus of the worship to idols Idols are anything that takes the place of worship in our lives from the only one who deserves our worship, the one who we were created and designed to worship. The tragedy of the story that God is trying to relate to His people is that they have rejected the potter and instead have become potters themselves, creating idols for themselves to worship. They were trying to be the gods of their own universe by putting themselves in the place of God. Trying to determine their own destiny. And we ask ourselves, why would they do this? Why? Because the gods that we make, the gods of money and of success, of personal freedom, are much more comfortable with sin, aren't they? In fact, they make vice a virtue. And pride isn't pride, it's self confidence. And covetousness isn't covetousness, it's ambition. And self centeredness isn't self centeredness, it's personal freedom. But the problem is that redirecting your worship will lead you into dead ends. The Lord was trying to tell them, You've been marred. Verse 15, he says, But my people have forgotten me. They have burned incense to worthless idols, they mean nothing. And they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient past, to walk in pathways and not on a highway. Those pathways will never lead you to where you really want to go. Look at what God says in verse 17. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face. Because Judah has turned its back on God, so now God will turn his back on Judah. And yet, they still refuse to hear that message. Instead, they devised a plan against Jeremiah to shut him up. Shut up, Jeremiah. We don't want to hear what you're saying. Verse 18, it says, Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with the tongue. Let us not give heed to any of his words. Don't listen to anything he says. If we can just silence the voice of the Lord in our life, if that preacher would just stop preaching to me, if we could just get him to stop preaching to us. And that rejection and those threats by people whose lives Jeremiah was trying to save. It cut him deeply. And so we see the rest of the conversation in verse 19 to 23. This emotional dam breaks in Jeremiah's life. He says, I've tried. Listen, I've tried. Instead of praying for his neighbors, Jeremiah, he begins to pray against them. He says things like, remember, Lord, I stood before you to speak good to them and turn your wrath away from them. I tried to warn them, but they refuse to listen. Instead, they want to kill me. So God, let them experience all the horror of war that's coming. Don't forget their sins. Don't remove their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. And here in his hurt, Jeremiah prays that God's wrath would fall on them. But all of our shame was met with his mercy. All of our sin was met with His grace. God had a plan to ensure that there was a testimony of the murder. Almost 500 years later, from the time that Jeremiah gives this message, guess what? People are still in a mess. They still have their lives murdered, But God had a plan. The potter, he comes to the clay. Jesus comes and He experiences the same opposition from people just like who Jeremiah was opposed against. Who opposed Him. But unlike Jeremiah, He doesn't pray for their destruction. No. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He prays, Father, take this cup from Me, but not My will, but Yours be done. In other words, if it's Your will, I will drink the cup of Your wrath that they deserve. At the cross, He bears our sin. All of our condemnation was met with the cross. Where would we be without the cross? Hallelujah. Jesus was overthrown instead of us. He was rejected and, and despised instead of you. And what does He pray on the way to the cross? Does He pray Jeremiah's prayer? Don't forgive their sins. No. He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The writer of 1 John, he writes and says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The testimony of the Mart says, I once was a wreck, but He died for me and gave me a fresh start. I didn't deserve it. But he had more grace than I had sin. Hallelujah! How many is thankful here this morning that he has more grace than you have sin? Thank you, Jesus. I shouldn't have got another chance. And if it hadn't have been for the Potter, I wouldn't have. The wrath of God that Jeremiah wanted to fall on the people, God fell on Himself. God is the potter. We're the clay. And He has every right to treat us as Jeremiah prays. But guess what? He doesn't. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write about it to the Roman church in Romans chapter 9. He says, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right? Doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, Even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. With those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction, who have their minds set. This is the path I'm going on. doesn't matter what God says. Who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who are prepared in advance for glory. Guess what this morning, church? Christ takes it all. He takes it all. He doesn't only die for us, but He is the resurrection and the life, and He is alive forevermore. And because He is, He intercedes on our behalf. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who drew near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them those times that you forget Him, He's interceding for you. Those times when you're tempted to turn your back on Him, He's standing in the gap for you. Those times when you fall and feel discouraged and you feel empty and you come to church and wonder, why am i am even here? He's the one who lives to make intercession for you. And knowing all of this about Him, it means, it means that we're safe in His hands. He loves you. He died for you. He intercedes for you, and so he molds your life as he tells you things need to change. Things need to change. You know you're going to be okay as long as you're in the potter's hands. In his hands, common clay can be transformed into something truly remarkable. Even though God is a master craftsman, the task of molding humanity, it's difficult. It's a difficult one. Because in molding humanity... God has granted the clay free will. Think about it. Clay in the hands of God. The master craftsman is given a will of its own. God wants us to become vessels to carry the good news of his love and his forgiveness and his peace and his purpose for humanity. But guess what? He leaves that choice up to us. And sometimes things go wrong, sometimes we don't always choose the right pathway because of wrong choices we make, because of events and disasters that overwhelm us. Regardless of the reason, God is always there wanting to reshape and remake and renew us, to make us into the beautiful vessel that He intended us to be. So when we become marred by sin and by this old world, the Lord, He takes the broken state of our life and He just starts again. Like the wobbly pot on the potter's wheel. We are imperfect. And not the beautiful creation the potter intends us to be. At times, we mess ourselves up. We're our own worst enemies. And it's clear the only way anything is ever going to be okay again is if the potter starts again. So my prayer here this morning is, Lord, just start again. Start again. To the ones who... Feel hopeless. The ones who are already at the point of saying, don't waste your breath on me, Lord. God, I, Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would intercede on their behalf and you would just start again. Start again, Lord. Our God, he's an incredibly patient potter. And I would imagine that any of us, if we had to go at making a clay mug or pot or whatever, and the clay didn't do what we expected because it was too wet or too dry or too crumbly. Out of our impatience, we would just throw the whole thing in the garbage. But not God. God does not give up on us. But tragically, some people who use their free will, they use it to give up on God. God does not discard them. They discard God. They choose a misshapen existence just like the people Jeremiah was sent to speak to. The testimony of the marred, it still speaks to us today that when we have failed, when we have lost the beauty of what we should have, when we have gone off on a path, when we have become discouraged and dejected, God can start again and create us better than we ever were. This poem, it was written by Arrhenius from the second century. Many, many years ago, I don't think anybody here was around then to be BFFs with them or anything. In the second century, he wrote this poem, and he titled it, From God's Hands. It says this, It is not you who shape God. It is God that shapes you. If then you are the work of God, await the hand of the artist. That's the hardest thing to do in life, isn't it? It's just... Await his hand. Who does all things in due season. He says this. Offer the potter your heart. Soft and tractable. And keep the form in which the artist has fashioned you. Keep that form. Let your clay be moist. Lest you grow hard and lose the imprint of the potter's fingers. Don't miss it on what God's doing. Don't miss it on what God's doing. If I could have the music come back. When we were in Miramichi, there was a band of brothers that were well-known, but not for their good works. <laughs> one evening, one of the brothers, he got home, and he found his brother flat on the floor in their living room. Pill bottles all around him. So he called 911, he picks up the phone, he calls 911 and the ambulance they rush to get him to the hospital trying to just sustain life, keep him alive. Come to find out he had tried to take his own life. He was tired of the way the things were and he decided the only way out is just to end it all. So there in their home he swallowed over 400 pills. He emptied bottle after bottle. As his brother Steve, he waited in the waiting room that night. He knew his brother was going to die. But what you don't know is that God had been working on Steve's life. Steve, he started coming to our church. He heard about this God that loves him. He never knew that. He heard about this God who could change his life and do miracles. And so there in that hospital waiting room in Miramichi, Steve, he starts to pray. Lord, I know I'm asking a lot. But I've heard that you can do the impossible. I need you to give my brother another chance. I need you to save him. we could all stand. Time passed by. The doctor comes out and he tells him that he can go in to see his brother. You can go in. And Steve, he's expecting to see that his brother is already gone. Instead, there sitting up in the hospital bed is his brother. And Steve, he asked the doctors and the nurses, how did you do it? How did you do it? They told him, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. There was nothing we could do. With that much medication in his system, it was only a matter of time before he passed we don't know how it's possible they said he just all of a sudden sat up and he asked for you and so steve he didn't waste the moment he turned to his brother and told him the only reason why you're still alive is because there's a god who loves you hallelujah jesus and i got to witness both of those brothers come through our church doors in miramichi together And I got to watch for the first altar call that Donnie was ever in, the first church service that Donnie had ever been in. He comes up to the front, lifts up his hands with everybody else. Hallelujah. And he surrenders his life to the potter. I'm here to tell someone here this morning that if you've got breath in your lungs, it's not too late. God won't give up on you. He won't toss you out. He he won't count you as hopeless. Instead, He takes our lives and He just starts shaping us over again. He's willing to start shaping again. Shaping you into another vessel as it seems best to Him. The only prerequisite here this morning is that you give Him your clay. You give Him your heart. If we do get away from God, become marred or destroyed by this world, God doesn't throw us away. If we are willing to be transformed by God again, He will take us and shape us in the way that he wants us and picks us up and begins working with us once again. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you, so are you, so are you in my hand. Can he do it? Can't God take our lives and our church just like this potter has done to this clay and transform us for his will, to be used for his glory? There's a testimony waiting to be told this morning by the ones who were once marred but are now made over anew. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.